0: This is Hearts of Oak podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. It's wonderful to have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West back with us once again. Alan, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Peter, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and greetings to all of my country cousins over there across the pond.
0: Great to have you And I remember the last time you were on, actually, was just after we started streaming on War Room, which was end of September. So mm-hmm. I vividly remember the last time you were on, because I think you were our second guest uh, having streaming. So great to have the War Room Posse joining us. Obviously, we're doing this a few days before. People yeah. can find you at Alan West is your Twitter handle. All your Substack information, everything else is in the description. And there are lots to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we've had the primaries uh, just happening uh, with the, the latest two. Uh, poor Nikki Haley hanging on. I will get <laughs> into that. But if I could start, first of all, with yourself, um, you are the candidate for Dallas County GOP chair. Maybe you can tell us why you're running for this position and what's your plan for Dallas County? I think in for UK viewers, we think Texas is Republican. That's not the case. So enlighten us, please.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I was the uh, state party chairman uh, as well. And a lot of people have, you know, came to me and asking me, can you help us here in Dallas County? And at first I said no, because, you know, I kind of just you know got a lot of stones in my kit bag right now. But when you sit back and you look at the situation in Dallas County and what the progressive socialist left is doing across the country in red states, What they do is they come in and they take over the major urban population centers. And even though Texas may be considered a red state, when you look at our major centers of Dallas, uh, Austin, Texas, which is the capital, Houston, Harris County, San Antonio, El Paso, they're all controlled by the progressive socialist left. As a matter of fact, we just had the finance reports that were released last week, and we have seen that George Soros is dumping $2.5 million into Texas, and he's focusing on three different counties in Texas, and that is Cameron County, Hidalgo County, which are down along the border, and then Dallas County. And so you ask, why would George Soros care about Dallas County? Well, in the last presidential election cycle, Democrats outvoted Republicans in Dallas County, by two hundred and ninety-one thousand seventy-six votes, and going into this election cycle in Dallas County, we have seventy-five percent of the countywide positions that are up for election that are unopposed, and we have seventy-three judicial positions here in Dallas County that are unopposed, and uh, you, you can't win this way. And, and so, the other thing that is of grave concern to us here is, you know, in a county you have different voting precincts. And in Dallas County, we have 861 voting precincts with registered voters. Well, Republicans only have a little over 200 precinct chairs. So if you don't have that strong game on the ground, which means you have less than 25 percent people that are you know, organizing and making sure people have registered to vote and getting them out to vote. This is why they're targeting Dallas County. And I think that it's time that we do something to make sure that, number one, We can go out there, we can recruit candidates and get them running in these races. Number two, we've got to do something about recruiting precinct chairs so we can have an effective ground game. And number three, we have to do something to maintain the uh, election integrity because Unsolicited mail-in ballots, not a good thing. Uh, A lot of chicanery happens at the end of early voting. Uh, We want to preclude that. We want to get back to precinct-level voting. So there are some issues in, uh, in Dallas County, and this is important because remember, President Trump only won Texas four years ago by 6%. And so obviously they think that they can make up that difference in three counties and Dallas being the premier one.
0: Um has has Texas changed? Because again, here in the UK we see it as as a red state. But um tell us the the changes that have happened. You know Texas very well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what has happened in Texas is that when you go out and you ask these businesses and corporations to relocate here to Texas because of your economic policies, your tax policies and what have you, the thing that you have to articulate to these business leaders is that you need to explain to your employees that you're going to bring here while you're leaving where you were, being in California, Illinois, New York, or where have you. Because what we're finding is that there's a difference. There are people that are picking up and leaving, leaving these blue states individually because they're checking out. They got it. They can't take it anymore. But these people that are coming along with these businesses and corporations, they are still voting the same way they did back uh, in the places where they came from. But yet these businesses and corporations are reaping the benefits of the tax policies and the economic policies here, but eventually they will take us down the wrong path and we will end up being exactly like the States where they, uh, they left. So I think it's very important that we start talking to the employees. You know, we've had Toyota North America pick up and and leave uh, California. You've had uh, Liberty mutual. You've had uh, Frito lay. I mean, so many, uh, you know, fortune 500 corporations and companies are right here. And, uh, you know, when you look at Houston and Harris County, which I would tell you is the oil and natural gas capital of the world, now we see the infiltration of all these woke policies, the ESG policies into these corporations. And uh, they're making decisions that are going against their best interests and the interests of the people here in Texas in the oil and gas industry.
0: Well, tell us you one of your taglines i saw i think on your pin video you ended off off with fight local win national um and that's a tagline which is not just for the us but actually wherever you find yourselves here in the uk that tagline could apply maybe you want to explain why you've used that tagline and what it means
1: well i think you have to understand is when you look at a place like dallas county Uh, And we are the eighth or ninth largest metroplex, county metroplex in the United States of America. And we have no elected Republicans in the Dallas County leadership. Uh, If you're losing locally, you're going to end up losing nationally. And what the left has done very well is that they come in and they focus on city council races. They focus on school board races. They focus on these county commission races. They focus on district attorney races. Uh, We have a district attorney here in Dallas County that was funded by George Soros. And just recently he decided to not prosecute the case against a, uh, a sex trafficker who kidnapped a girl from a Dallas Mavericks basketball game, raped her, and then put her into sex trafficking. She was found up in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And the district attorney here, John Cruzeau, said he's not going to prosecute the case against them. So that's the problem. And furthermore, he has a policy, uh, $750 or less, he doesn't prosecute criminals. Well, you know, $750 is a lot to me. Uh, And and if you rob me, you should, you know, uh, pay the consequences thereof. So if we don't fight locally, if we continue to allow the left to come in and take over these major population centers where you see the greatest amount of failure of their policies, you see the lack of uh, law and order, you see the lack of good quality education to focus on indoctrination instead, then the next thing you know, you flip a red state to a blue state. And you look at what is happening in my birth state from uh, Georgia, where you have two avowed socialists now. As the senators from uh, the state of Georgia. And that's because of Atlanta, Columbus, Macon, Augusta, and Savannah. Those five metropolitan areas are the reason why you have that. So we have got to do a better job as conservatives, as Republicans, focusing local, like I said, fight local, and then that helps you to win national.
0: Um, is, uh, before we get on to the, the GOP primaries, uh, is, I mean, it's part of the problem that people just think it's all good. Uh, the focus maybe is elsewhere on some of the more swing states, but actually I think Texas is in the bag. Um, is that part of the problem that people just assume everything is good?
1: Well, yeah, there there is that uh, assumption that is there. And you know, that like uh, I was taught as a kid, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. That's what assume means. But there's an apathy that is there as well. And I, I think that people have gotten very complacent. In red states, and and Peter, think about it. California used to be a red state. California had Ronald Reagan as a governor. Uh, you look at the state of Washington was was a red state, and and now the only place you find blue is in King County, Seattle, Tacoma, and that dictates the politics uh, of that place. I mean, Nevada, uh, Colorado used to be a red state, but now because of the uh, taking over Denver and Boulder, now sifting down to Colorado Springs, and you know pushing out into the suburbs. Colorado is a, is a blue state. And so I think that we have to start, again, focusing at that local level. So many people can tell you here in the United States of America who's running for president. And they can maybe tell you about, you know, who their senator is and who their congressperson is. But they can't tell you about the city council member. They can't tell you about school board member. They can't tell you about their county commission. Uh, and And, you know, even in a place like Dallas County, you know, we don't have a Republican running for the sheriff's position coming up in this 2024 cycle. So what does that mean for law and order here in Dallas County?
0: Well, certainly hoping and praying that actually Republicans get out and do the right thing and vote to make sure they have proper representatives. Um, But if I can look at the national side, obviously the primaries have been happening in Iowa. Uh, Trump triumphed there. DeSantis dropped out. Nikki Haley hangs on. And we've just had the New Hampshire uh, vote where, again, Donald Trump wins with a with a smaller majority, but still wins. Nikki Haley hangs on. Um, Give us your assessment of how that of what is happening there.
1: Well, I think Ron DeSantis did the right thing. Uh, He maintained his honor, integrity and character. He put all of his eggs in one basket and that was Iowa. And he did not win a single county in Iowa. So he saw that the path forward for him was not good. and He ended up endorsing uh, President Trump. Uh, I don't understand where Nikki Haley is going. I know that she is backed by some very, very, very big wealthy donors. And so the money will continue to come. But when you look at New Hampshire, which was an open primary, which means that, you know, people can cross over and vote in that primary. And as a matter of fact, uh, from what I saw in reports, she had between 70 to 73,000 people that were not registered Republicans that came across and voted for her. And still she lost by double digits. So that has to send a message to you. Now they're going to transition to her home state of South Carolina, where she was a two-time governor there. If she is not successful in South Carolina, I don't understand how you can continue to justify you being in the race. And, as long as she stays in there, we have this contentious primary that takes away the time and resources for us to be able to unite behind one person and start focusing on the policies of the Biden administration and whoever maybe the, the left tries to throw in there, because I don't think they're going to take Joe Biden to the, uh, to the poll and, in, and uh, in later on this year.
0: Um, the actually, let me pull you up on the, the open primary thing. It was UK media were discussing it today And they were trying to make sense of this, where you have a candidate from one party, but actually you could independent, you're Democrats, they could all vote. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a weird anomaly, is it not?
1: It is an absolutely weird anomaly. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that the Republican Party of Texas, and, and I was pushing for this back when I was the chairman, is for us to have closed primaries here in Texas. Because that's exactly what you see happening, people jumping across and, you know, muddying up the waters in the the other party. So I would think that you would want to have someone that is going to be on your team elected by people that are on your team and not people that are jumping in trying to uh, throw a monkey wrench into things. But again, it has to tell Nikki Haley something. Uh, It was very interesting, you know, last night watching her. She came out very early and gave her uh, her speech when that margin was still very tight. I think the the margin was like seven, uh, six or 7%. But I think the end margin ended up being, I think, closer to 11 or 12%. And like I said, with all of these uh, independents and Democrats to cross over to vote for her, she was still very, very, you know, not successful. So I, I, I just got a question, you know, where does she see her path forward in this primary cycle?
0: Yeah, it's weird looking at. I can understand Ron DeSantis running until the primary first one, then dropping out when you don't get it. Nikki Haley hangs on, and her speech was—it sounded like a victory speech. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. we've lost. It 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 doesn't make sense. Kind of what she wants, and um, I mean, how do you see it? Because obviously she's not going to get anything when Donald Trump actually wins and takes the White House. Um others have been hoping and they've dropped out with Vivek with Tim Scott and mm-hmm. they're hoping to have a position. Um Nikki seems to have burned her bridges so it doesn't seem to make any sense.
1: Well, that, that is absolutely true. Uh, you think about here, she was uh, a very successful uh, ambassador to the United Nations. She quits that job. She says she's not going to run for president if Trump is the going to come back and run. And then she decides to run for president after you know Trump has declared he's going to run. So uh, she has burned her bridges, and I don't know where she goes after this. And again, if she continues to prosecute her uh, endeavor, there comes a point in time where people are going to say, you're, you're not sane. uh, there, you're, you're causing more harm to the, uh, to the movement, to the party than good. And you're making this more so about you than about this country. And so I think that there's this decision point that really has to come up really soon for her, especially if, uh, she is not successful in South Carolina and Tim Scott has already come out. As you know, he's the Senator from South Carolina and endorsed president Trump.
0: Well, moving on it. I kind of understand her holding on if she thought she was going to have a chance, but I mean, with with Iowa's well over twenty points, Trump won. You, uh, New Hampshire, you said it was eleven or twelve points, and moving on to South Carolina, I think I read she's twenty points at least behind in her home state. Um, I, I mean, it's. If you're holding on for a win at some point in the race to give you that rush forward, then that's one issue. But um, she's going to lose in her home state, and to me, it would be much more sensible to pull out rather than suffer that embarrassment.
1: I, I firmly agree with you. I mean, because uh, people always remember uh, what was your last race and and you know how did you fare? And if Nikki Haley goes down as a person that lost in her own home state by twenty uh, percentage points. Uh, That's that doesn't bode well. But in in her uh, thought process, I mean, I've been looking at some of the statements from her campaign is that they're again hoping for a lot of these open primary uh, states that they can make a difference in in those type of states. But if you saw what happened in New Hampshire, uh, that's not going to bode well uh, either. You know, even if you do have an open primary,
0: it's again, listening to the UK media BBC and Sky, which I don't normally listen to, but I wanted mm-hmm. to get their perspective. And they were saying Trump has won, but Hilly is hanging in. She's got the independent, the, the Democrat vote, um, but she doesn't have uh, the Republican vote. Um, I mean, moving, uh, moving forward and looking at, I mean, even you've got Ronan McDaniel, the RNC chair, mm-hmm. who... I don't think either of us, uh, I certainly from afar have your respect for. Um, most Republicans don't have any um, because she seems to oversee a, a losing streak. But even she has come out and said the GOP should unite uh, behind Trump. I think that's just a couple of hours ago she came out. I don't know whether she's just looking for a job or whether she actually believes that.
1: Well, I think it's just a matter of fact and it's just a matter of truth. And And again, you know, the RNC, you know, they need to be able to move beyond this primary thing so they can start focusing their resources as well. And they need to go out there and tap into donors so that they can run the national level campaign, because it is not just the presidential election cycle. Now you're talking about the congressional races that come up every two years. You're also talking about Senate races. So I I think that, you know, as long as Nikki Haley is staying in this, I mean, she's kind of a hindrance to the RNC being able to do that. And I think that she wants to shake that uh, losing streak, uh, without a doubt, uh, so that she can get back into the W column. But again, I, I just uh, think that if I'm Nikki Haley, you know, waking up this morning, you know, I, I've got to start looking at, you know, how and where can I really bow out of this gracefully? Uh, because the longer I stay in this, uh, it, it, it makes it about me. And it does not make it about what's going forward. And, and let me, let's be very honest. Independents and Democrats may vote for her in these open primaries. They're not going to vote for her in November.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. My final thought with you uh, before moving on to, to some others is the um, looking at who Trump picks, and obviously, recently in the last, well, in the last few days, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Scott has been put forward. Um, I think Vivek thought of himself as a. AVP candidate, but Tim Scott seems to be. He's got a, a good backstory. He is strongly conservative. He seems to kind of fit that bill. I mean, what what are your thoughts as as you look at how that ticket will work out?
1: Well, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of jokes out there about, you know, now all of a sudden he's decided to, you know, uh, have a fiance and propose marriage and everything like that. So uh, that's a that's a telltale. But, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, President Trump, if he wins this election, 2024, he's basically a lined up president. He can only serve that one term. So his vice president selection has to be for the future. It has to be about making sure that we can maintain another eight years of a constitutional conservative Republican in the White House and and that type of administration. So I think that has to weigh heavy on who is selecting. And uh, hopefully it's not about the identity politic, but it's about the best possible person out there that can really galvanize this country. And uh, I will tell you, when you look at our economy, you look at our energy situation, you look at every single issue out there, we're hurting in the United States of America, Peter. And if the United States is hurting, the rest of the world is hurting. And that's why you see all this chaos and confusion all over the world.
0: Well, yeah, I want to touch on later on one of those, which is the immigration issue, which I know uh, you cover regularly. But just mm-hmm. my last thought on on the campaign. I mean, as a Brit, I'm blown away by the money spent. I was looking through mm-hmm. and you've got, I think just short of $200 million mm-hmm. spent by Republican candidates. And this is actually before... Uh, an actual presidential race Mm -hmm. uh it's i mean it's it is a whole industry and i think us in the uk don't understand actually how that works and the vast sums of money that can be spent prior to actually the proper election
1: well the thing is uh your news publications and all these folks they realize that this is a money-making scheme uh, sometimes they raise the rates, you know, for TV ads and uh, ads and newspapers and radio ads and things of this nature because they only get this opportunity so often. So yes, it is a big money scheme, and I think at some point in time we got to start looking at, you know, is this really the 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 type of scenario we want to have in America where it's it's almost like an oligarchy can determine. You know, who are the ones that are out there running for office, especially at a national level? And then you look at what's happening on a local level. We're completely disavowing it. So I think at some point in time, we've got to start focusing on who are some of the good quality people out there that maybe, you know, they're not millionaires. They're not billionaires, because I don't want to see us go down that path of having a a rich elitist crew that is uh, in charge of this country. And you think about it. I mean, Joe Biden goes into uh, United States Senate, uh, pretty much so nothing and a nobody. and Now look at him. He's got, you know, houses all over the damn place, you know, beach houses or what have you. That's not what we want to
0: have. Not completely. Um, let me move on to one of the events you've had recently, and it's about getting people involved. And that was Boot Camp for Boomers. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, there in in Florida. Um, and that kind of Forty-five to 65, 1965, that group. Um, I, I mean, I was one talk about that event, but also my thinking was is there a danger that they have become disengaged um, and hand over responsibility to, uh, I guess, a more vocal, militant generation that's come up?
1: Well, you know, the ACRU, the American Constitutional Rights Union, along with the Association for Mature American Citizens, uh, we put this event on down there in the villages, a beautiful place uh, just north of Orlando and is a senior retirement community. Uh, Because what I want to stress to the boomer generation is that we and and I'm at the tail end of the boomer generation. We are the ones that are, are the descendants of the World War II veterans. We're the the descendants of the the fellows who raised the flag on Mount Suribachi, who stormed the beaches of Normandy. And we have to step up and continue on with remembering the contributions of the greatest generation and not letting it be forgotten, uh, upholding those principles and values. They are the ones that came back from war and built this incredible modern day industrial and economic machine that we call the United States of America. But when you look at our system of indoctrination, it's no longer a system of education. When you look at the fact that, you know, how is it that we have young people in the United States of America? And you see it also in the U.K. right now that are out there marching arm in arm with, you know, an Islamic terrorist organization. These pro-Hamas supporters. I mean, these folks, they kill you if they had the chance. And, And so there's something. Where we're not telling the story that bridges the gaps between these generations, and that was the message that we wanted to send, and we want to get them engaged and get them involved, and again, not allow them to have this complacency, and to to once again talk to their children, talk to their grandchildren, and uh, you know, not just keep pictures of them in their wallets and and on their walls, but understand that what they do or not do right now will determine their future. So that was the message of the boot camp for boomers.
0: It does seem to be a massive gap. And my huge concern is that uh, that that generation has not passed on the baton properly. They've kind of mm-hmm. um, stepped aside and say, well, our time is finished without actually raising up the next. And it shows having someone like Biden in the White House, and right. that's the implications of that, I guess, not passing on the mantle the next generation.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It is a relay race. And the thing about a relay race, you have an exchange zone. And, you know, back in the day when I had a little bit more speed, uh, I, I ran the 4x100 uh, 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 relay in high school. And you're supposed to exchange the baton in the exchange zone. If you do it too early, you disqualify. You do it too late, you disqualify. If you drop the baton, you're disqualified. And I think right now we have drop that baton and somehow we have got to go back to our basics and fundamentals and re-enter the race and uh, make sure that we're passing that baton which is the baton of liberty and freedom to our subsequent generations
0: let me uh, move on to one of the issues uh, which is immigration i think one of mm-hmm. your recent steadfast and oil podcasts was on the cost of illegal immigration um Do you want to unpack that? What is the cost and how we let this situation arise?
1: Well, you know, when I look at this recent Supreme Court decision, I mean, we're upside down. We don't understand our rule of law. We don't understand our constitution. We don't understand our national sovereignty. And so, you know, we're a very generous people here in the United States of America. We want people to come here to our country, but we want you to knock at the front door. We don't want you to come into the back door. And this illegal immigration issue is now touching us in every single facet. It's an economic issue. It is a, a health care issue. It's an education issue. Who would have ever thought in New York City that, you know, parents would be told the night prior, you know, don't bring your kids to school because we're going to bring in illegals. Uh, what are they to do? How, what's, who's going to teach my child? Now I got to find child care, those type of things. Not to mention the national security issue, the domestic security issue, the The fentanyl crisis, the drug trafficking crisis, human and sex trafficking crisis. So we have got to get leaders back up there that understands that we have a national character. And part of that national character are our borders. And we have to protect those borders as a sovereign constitutional republic. And and I believe that Europe has understood that. and, And I think that that was one of the main reasons why you saw the UK pull out from the European Union, because they did not want a bunch of bureaucrats you know telling them how they're supposed to you know maintain and control their own borders. So this is a huge issue going in as you saw the exit polling in uh New Hampshire. This is the number one issue over the economy. People are starting to see it and feel it.
0: And I saw I think um, I saw Ben Berkman uh there for Real America's Voice and he was talking to uh to voters and people there and more or less all of them when he asked what were their two issues, more or less all of them said Illegal immigration, Mm -hmm. uncontrolled border, that Mm -hmm. is one of of those two. Um, And I I don't know why that doesn't. I mean, I I watched one of the press (coughs) conferences and uh, one of the reporters was saying, why is this administration supporting illegal immigration? Uh, It was a pointed question. And I'm surprised the other in the media did not actually jump in that because this is what affects people. You're right, it affects every part of our lives.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I just think the Biden administration is tone deaf and you continue to have someone like Alexander Mayorkas, who is the head of our Homeland Security, saying that the border is secure. Well, you know, he's basically telling us, don't believe your lying eyes. Um, it does not make sense whatsoever. And when you look at the American Constitution, the federal government has a enumerated duty and responsibility. Uh, it's called the Guarantee Clause, Article 4, Section 4, to guarantee to every state in the union to protect them from invasion. They're not doing it. And for the Supreme Court to say that even if the federal government is not owning up to their part of the Constitution to protect sovereign states, then the states have no recourse. That was a huge decision that the Supreme Court made because this can have ramifications for so many other uh, aspects in that relationship between the federal government and the states. And the Constitution is very clear in article 1, section 10 clause number three what the states can do if actually invaded when there is imminent danger without any admit of delay. So uh, you know what you have happening right now in the state of Texas you just poured uh, fuel on the fire of this whole Texit movement. Uh, because they're saying if the federal government is telling us that they're not going to protect us, they're not going to protect our border, which is 1,249 miles, that Texas shares with a deep stabilized uh, country, which is Mexico, then someone has to step up to the plate. And uh, I just pray Governor Abbott will do exactly that, step up to the plate and rise up to this challenge.
0: I mean, I watched that well, was 5-4 in telling Texas that they could not put barbed wire up. Um I, I I was scratching my head there. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand how the Supreme no. Court could say, you're not allowed to secure the border. We are stating it is not legal for you to secure the border. Um, how do you get to that point where that is the legal decision of the Supreme Court?
1: You have to ask them. Uh, and we're not talking about you know thousands of miles. We're talking about 46 to 48 miles of uh, concertina wire in one of the most uh, heavily flooded places for illegal immigrants, right along Eagle pass in, in that area. And so I'd, I'd like to ask, I mean, when was the last time any of these Supreme court justices have been to the border? When have they seen what is going on? And furthermore, what do you have around the United States Supreme Court? You have a security fence. So basically what the Supreme court said to us in the state of Texas, there are rules for thee, and then there are rules for me uh and and this is not sitting well with people down here in Texas.
0: I mean does that it's a it's a massive open door for yeah. President Trump to to campaign on um and I, I mean where where does a, a president sit because the Supreme Court is the arbiter it is it is the top. So where do you go with if legally you're not actually allowed uh, to have your border. Are there other ways? Is it just increasing border patrol? Um, is it just actually building the wall? I mean, where where do the states go that actually need to control what's that inflow?
1: I think the you know the state of Texas needs to defy what the Supreme Court said and make it very clear that we understand the issue of federalism and we understand that the Supreme Court, uh, the United States, the federal government is supreme over the states when they are doing things that are in pursuance thereof, Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution, to the rule of law. If the federal government is not abiding by the rule of law, then we cannot have lawlessness, and the states have to have a recourse because we are sovereign states. And when you read the Declaration of Independence, uh, Thomas Jefferson you know, said that sovereign states created the United States of America, the federal government. It wasn't the other way around.
0: Um, how do you go um, thinking what happened 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time where there was a census and everyone had to travel um, and and put their details down and there was a, a census, which is very different from what we have now, which is just you fill in a postal form and if you don't, well, you don't. Um, there, there has to be a way of removing, uh, actually, the people who have come in illegally um, and having... What how many is it? Like seven or eight million. It's it's some bonkers figure of yeah. people that have flooded in during Biden's time. Um I mean, how do you begin to push back with with trump coming in he he is a lame duck and i completely get that um yet there has to be a, a massive massive change in actually trying to remove people and i think in germany actually they're having this conversation in germany as well yeah. where the the party that are leading in germany the afd alternative for deutschland leading at 25 percent in the polls they have talked about actually you need to deport people you need to remove them oh, you and have send to send them back
1: you have to. When you look at all these single military age males that have come into this country uh, illegally and, and to include from a country like China, our number one geopolitical foe. So uh, you got to go back to the policies that work that protected your border. You got to go back and uh, have the Customs and Border Patrol agents doing what they're supposed to do, patrolling the border. You have to have ICE uh, doing what is necessary to you know deport people, find them and, and get them out of here. Now, what the the left wants is they want everyone in the United States of America to be counted in a census uh, because what they want is larger representation. uh, And that is really what's behind this. And furthermore, coming back to what I said, fight local, win national, you hear the, the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, they're talking about illegals voting. In local level elections. Well, if they vote in local level elections, they're going to vote in national level elections. What's to stop that? And especially when you have these Democrats, these progressive leftists that don't want to have voter registration roll review, they want to give illegals a driver's license, which means they have picture ID. And if you go back to 1996 with the motor voter law, which was passed under Bill Clinton, they'll get registered to vote. So it's all of these traps that we have to start closing and preventing these loopholes that the left is built into, uh, really and truthfully, as Barack Obama said, fundamentally transformed the United States of America.
0: Um, just to kind of finish off on uh, with the election, uh, what are your thoughts? There are massive issues. The economy is obviously one of them as well as the immigration. And here I look and think, how could anyone actually vote for Biden? I can understand not wanting to vote for the other candidate if you don't want to, but actually, how could you actually physically go and Put an X or use your machines or yeah, whatever messed up system you can yeah, have in some of your states. But what are the what are the other issues? Is the economy the other big one? Um, is it actually American influence abroad? Um, looking at the disastrous retreat in Afghanistan and and other things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um kind of how do you see it on the doorstep talking to voters? The the border is one. Is the economy the other major one?
1: Yes, without a doubt. People feel it every day going to the gas pump. They feel it going to the grocery stores. uh, And they feel that their dollar is not going as far as it used to. And they know that. They feel that. I think the other thing is they're Fear and concern from national security and domestic security aspect. They see, you know, pro-Hamas supporters marching in their streets, blocking, you know, uh, airports and things of this nature. They they don't want a terrorist organization doing this. They don't want to have their border controlled by another terrorist organization, the Mexican cartels. And I, and I still think that educational freedom is important as well because the indoctrination of our children has to stop. And you're finding more and more parents independent, Democrat, Republican, they're uniting on that issue. Uh, you're always going to have a contingent of people like drill sergeants used to say when I was in the Army, uh, just stuck on stupid, and they think everything is just absolutely fine and they're going to vote for this because they're Marxists, they're socialists, they're they're leftists, uh, and, and they want government control. They want power. But I think that 60 to 65 percent of the folks in the United States of America, they want something different. And that's why you see Joe Biden losing large swaths in the Black community and the Hispanic community which is really sending up a red flag for them.
0: Well, let, actually, let me finish off that point, because that was a really interesting part of uh, one of the programs I listened to here in the UK this morning. And they actually focused on that. That They said Biden had 90% uh, vote um, in the black community or the Afro-American community. And actually, that's down to about 60 or 65%. Yes. And they were... Um, Debating this, why would uh, someone vote for Trump? But it's there, it plainly that people are moving away. Maybe finish off on that. What are your thoughts now? That? Because that that changes things considerably for Trump.
1: Well, when you start talking about the illegal immigration situation, look at the black community in Chicago saying that we don't want this. You, you're, you know, we don't want to have this. Uh, loss of law and order, when you're allowing all of this crime and criminality in these urban population centers. So Walmarts, Walgreens, drugstores, everyone is moving out. And so many places are becoming food deserts in our inner city communities, the level of crime, the lack of quality education. So people are starting to see these things and they know that it uh, was not that bad under a President Donald Trump. And remember what he said in Charlotte, North Carolina to the black community, what have you got to lose? And they have seen that. And now they're starting to say, we have a lot to lose, and I think that's where they'll come back to him.
0: And also fits into the, that community being more conservative, just like the Hispanic community absolutely. being more conservative. And to me, it should be a automatic moving towards Trump and a more conservative vote.
1: Yes, sir. You're, you're absolutely right. When you think about faith, family, individual responsibility, freedom, quality education, small business entrepreneurship, service to the nation – those are your basic conservative qualities. And I think when you go back and you look at the great uh, educator and orator, Booker T. Washington, who I call the father of black conservatism, he believed in education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. Uh, we got to get the, all communities back
0: to that. Um, just let me ask you, when when is the date for the election, the local election there in Dallas for you? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the early voting will start 20 February, and the actual election day is Super Tuesday, which is the first Tuesday, March the 5th.
0: Yeah, so soon after that, we'll see whether you're in that position or not. I yeah. look forward to inviting you back, possibly in your new position. Um, Alan, thank you so much for your time. It's always fascinating to have your insight. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Always a pleasure to be God bless.
0: If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoke.org. Thank you for listening.